right, so before we uh, launch into this, just a reminder of kind of how we're approaching the, the, the commandments, the words, the instructions. Um, and here's the way I would think about it. Um, I'm going to ask you guys, like, especially if, if you're parents, um, I want you to think about for a moment the rules and the instructions that are sort of important in your house. Uh, we all have them, okay? And actually, if you're, if you're not a parent, but you grew up in a house that had a couple rules, like I, I'm, I'm going to hear from you about like what those rules are. One rule in my house is that we always grew up, um, and actually, my, uh, Shana and I, no cell phones at the dinner table. That's a, that's a commandment in our house, okay? So let me just hear, I want to hear from you guys, this, what are some rules in your house that you, some instructions, anything? Don't break a promise. Ooh, that's a heavy one. Okay. All right. No, no English in the house. Okay. That's cool. Yeah. 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 Awesome. Always say I love you before going to sleep. Man, like these are important. These are heavy. Like the first gathering, they were all like, don't wrestle on the furniture. You guys are like locked and loaded for this thing. Don't lie. Treat each other with kindness and respect. Don't eat on the couch. Don't eat, the couch. <laughs> Don't eat in your room. Okay. All right, we're getting a little bit out of hand now. Okay. So, so uh, this is important, actually, because uh, the way we're approaching the commandments, if you're just joining us, the way we're approaching these, these 10 things that God has to tell his people is I, will, I believe very deeply that these are not just statements of abstract morality. These aren't just like do's and don't, don't do's. And especially if you're a parent, um, you know, as much as your children may not want to realize that our rules usually have a basis in a deeper desire for our kids. And, and the way my wife and I often put it is that, uh, at least for me, I always said, listen, it's my job to produce, well, I have two kids. It's my job to produce two functioning human beings. Eventually, I'm going to like, they're going to go out into the world, and I really want them to be like somewhat aware, functioning human beings, how to have a conversation, how to just, you know, treat your, yourself with respect, treat others with respect. I want, the, the, deeper, the deeper thought behind the rules is I want them to grow and mature into something. And I believe uh, with all my heart that God is not just some giant joy killer, that actually, if God is our Father, which is what the Scriptures tell us, that God actually has the same desire for us. He wants to produce functioning, loving, compassionate human beings. And so the way we're looking at these instructions is that they're not just uh, rules that just uh, to not follow or to follow uh, abstractly, but they're actually doing something in us. They're forming us. They're shaping us. And I actually love the word. They're, they're inviting us into a new reality. And as we enter into that reality, we're changed. Now, as we look to the, uh, to the third commandment, and uh, I'm just going to kind of read it real quick, Exodus 20, verse 7, it simply says this, do not use the Lord your God's name as if it were of no significance. The Lord won't forgive anyone who uses his name that way. I want to start really easy. I don't know if you grew up... Uh, hearing that this is about cursing or not cursing. You know, I grew up and it was all about like, listen, there are some words that you just better not ever say that involve using the God, you know, Lord's name in vain. And, you know, heaven help me if, I, if my parents ever heard me saying that. 
This commandment has actually very little to do with that. I mean, certainly we should use our language thoughtfully and lovingly, but it's not about not cursing. It's not about not saying certain bad words. It's ultimately where I want us to go today. It's ultimately about trusting God. This is the journey that we're on. It's ultimately about trusting God. And through that trust, because we trust God so much, we can honor other people and their humanity and their freedom and the journey that they're on. Like that's kind of what the video was getting at is that sometimes we are on a journey and, and life is sometimes complex and difficult. And yet sometimes uh, our, our friends that are a part of our faith family, they offer us solutions that are so much more simplistic than what our life actually is dealing with. And I don't know if you've ever been in a place where somebody offers, they try very well intended to offer you advice, but it's so simplistic. It takes no account into like how complex sometimes our lives can be. And you're like, man, I really appreciate that. But like, you know, slapping a bumper sticker, a Jesus fish on my car is just not gonna solve this problem. And so what I wanna get at is, is the way God actually wants us to use our words and use his name in ways that, 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 that show how much we trust him. And, uh, and we're, gonna, we're gonna do that by just starting with the very, very basics. Because when we read Exodus 20, verse seven, what we realize is that there's two questions right off the bat. Well, what is the name of God? That was meant to be rhetorical, but that's good. So, <laughs> so we have to kind of look at what the name is. And then we have to look at like, what does it mean? when it says, and a lot of us grew up with the translations that don't use the Lord's name in vain, right? So to start off with the name, um, uh, the name comes out of a story of Exodus 3. We're in the book of Exodus. If you need a Bible, by the way, they're kind of somewhere around this on these tables. Um, and Exodus is the second book of the Bible, very early in the text. Exodus 3, a guy named Moses uh, is talking to God. And God has told Moses, listen, I want you to go to Pharaoh and, and my people need to be set free from captivity. And Moses says, uh, he's gonna go to God's people, the Israelites. And Moses says, if I can go to the Israelites and say to them, listen, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you. They're going to ask me, what's this God's name? And he asked God very directly, what am I supposed to say to them? This is an issue of authority. Moses is about to go to God's people and he says, listen, God's calling us to do this thing. I'm supposed to lead you. And they're gonna say, well, by what authority? Well, God told me. Well, okay, well, who's God? And he says, ask God very like logically. So what am I supposed to tell them? And then God responds this way. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And it's like, literally, like, think about that. Because I am sure Moses is like, What? And I'm sure Moses would have been like, God, couldn't I tell them your name is like, do whatever Moses tells you to do? But God's like, I am who I am. And so, so Moses says, okay, and God's can do. So say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. And God continued to say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your ancestors, Abraham's God, Isaac's God, Jacob's God. So he's establishing this authority. Look, this God has sent me to you. And then God says, this is my name. This is how all generations will remember me. So as we said already, very basically, like what is God's name? It starts right here. And, and the, let me show you what it would look like. Not, not, it, this is not the Hebrew, but transliterated into, uh, translated into the English letters, 
There are no vowels in Hebrew. So literally it's Y-H-W-H. I am, and, uh, and we don't even really know exactly how it would be pronounced, but uh, by now there's scholarly consensus that essentially if you were to read this in the ancient Hebrew, it's a very old language, that it would be essentially Yahweh, Yahweh, and that's where you see you kind of get Yahweh. If you say it fat, that's where Yahweh comes from, all right? Um, so to go on and sort of like just build out what the name is and what the significance of the name is. Uh, again, there's no, there's no vowels in Hebrew. The way sometimes the Jewish people refer to it, they call it the tetragrammaton, which I love because it sounds like a, 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 a transformer. <laughs> and it just means the four consonants. It means the four consonants. And the Jewish people, like they take this commandment very, very seriously. So like if you were to read Jewish literature, like they do not even use the word or the name Yahweh. This is remembered, this is God's personal name. It's not a title. It's not like Lord Most High. It's not like the Lord of Heavenly Hosts. It's not like, you know, God, my rock. It is God's personal name, Yahweh. And so what, they, what a lot of Jewish people will refer to it is they just say the, it's, it's Hashem. It's the name. It's like, you know, in Lion King, Mufasa, ooh, you know. <laughs> like, like there's, a, there's a specialness to it where they're like, it says, don't use his name needlessly, meaninglessly. So literally don't even say it because who knows like what you're attaching God's name to. Hashem, the name is where you'll see it. So um, you'll also see it written sometimes in religious literature or blogs uh, where people will say, well, they'll spell out God, but they'll just use a hyphen for the O to just acknowledge that like, listen, we're not going to kind of go all the way there with God's name. We wanna leave a specialness, a mystery, a sacredness to it all. And again, like the, as the text in Exodus 3 says, it literally can mean um, I am who I am. Or it can mean, I will be who I will be. And the way Hebrew works is that there's some uh, question as to whether it's I am who I am or I will be who, who I will be. These are the main scholarly interpretations. And they are a little bit vague, but they're also incredibly powerful and evocative because they get at the idea of like, God is the ground of all being. I am, I just, ex I am, I exist. Or I will be. I am the God of the future. I am the God of becoming. And so that is the name part of the, the equation. Now, uh, the, the, the in vain part of the, or the insignificant part is a little more easy because uh, we're, there's not as much mystery about the translation. Uh, Exodus 20, the commandment just says, don't use that name in a way that says it's not significant. Don't use it falsely. Don't use it in vain. Don't use it in a way that's meaningless. Um, and this starts to kind of get at, at, at the direction I, I think we, we want to go. Because I think on one hand we would say, I, I don't really do that. But I think if we look at our lives, especially those of us who, who have grown up in faith or have been a part of faith for a while, there's actually some ways sometimes that we can start to use God's name in a meaningless way. Now, 
thankfully, um, and interestingly enough, at this point in the Ten Commandments, uh, Jesus starts to intersect with Exodus. Because uh, I don't know if you know this or not, but Jesus kind of makes comments and recasts some of these commandments to his followers and sheds new light on how to understand them. And the way I want to set this up is, is by introducing you to Jesus as, uh, as portrayed by a guy named Matthew. So in our Bible, um, we have the Hebrew scriptures, which we call oftentimes the Old Testament or the First Testament. The, the latter half of the Bible is called you know, the, the New Testament, and it deals with Jesus and the early church. First four books of the New Testament are stories about Jesus. We call them gospels because they're good news stories. Um, the first gospel, the first book of the New Testament is, is Matthew's story of Jesus. And Matthew is a very particular way of telling Jesus' story. And, and Jesus has a very particular way of living out his ministry in Matthew's gospel. And it has a lot to do with the book of Exodus. So let me show you what I mean. Uh, in the book of Exodus, which is where the Ten Commandments are set in the Bible, um, there's a story behind the Ten Commandments. God's people, the nation of Israel, they're set free from Egypt. They wander the desert for 40 years, growing and being uh, kind of transformed into the people that God wants them to be. Now, where we're at in the story, Moses goes up a mountain at Mount Sinai and God gives them the 10 instructions, the 10 words, the 10 commandments. And then Moses passes it on to the people. And then after these 40 years, eventually God's people, the nation of Israel, they enter the promised land, which is a place of rest and freedom, but mission and purpose. Because God says you're gonna be the light of the world. And they do that by crossing over the Jordan River. Now, what's interesting about Matthew's gospel is just in the first few chapters, Jesus's life is arranged in such a way that he's retelling the story of Israel. Let me show you what that looks like. In chapter two, Jesus is still an infant when he is called out of Egypt. And Matthew actually references part of the Exodus. Out of Egypt, God calls his son. Then Jesus wanders the desert, the wilderness, for 40 days before he starts his public ministry in chapter four. Israel wanders for 40 years. Jesus wanders for 40 days. Jesus goes up a mountain and then he gives his instructions to his followers in Matthew 5 through 7. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. You start to see the connections here. And then uh, Jesus is baptized in the Jordan River, which launches his public ministry. And in the same way that God's people cross the Jordan, they're in the Jordan, and then they go into the promised land, which is a place of mission and purpose for them. Jesus goes into the Jordan River, which launches his mission, his purpose. So what I believe very deeply is that Jesus is intentionally reliving and restructuring the book of Exodus around himself. And so when he goes up the mountain to get these set of instructions to his people and his followers, and he's talking about them in Matthew 5 through 7, it is literally like the Ten Commandments all over again. Jesus is saying there's a new set. And he builds off of them, and he uh, changes some of them to ways that are more reflective of kind of what he sees. So let me show you what that looks like. Um, in Matthew 5, uh, again, Wendy read this. Jesus is giving his instructions to his followers. And he says, listen, again, you've heard that it was said to those who lived long ago, don't make a false, solemn pledge, 
but you should follow through on what you have pledged to the Lord. Now, before we go any further, I want to let you know um, that Jesus is more directly quoting another passage in the Old Testament out of something called the book of Numbers. And it has to do with, with taking oaths. And if you make an oath before God, you better fulfill it. But most scholars draw very direct connections between taking an oath before God and like not using God's name in vain. Like if you're gonna invoke God's name in an oath, I promise to do something by God. One of the ways you don't take that in vain is you follow through. But Jesus takes this and he like ups the ante. So he says, listen, I say to you, but I say to you that you must not pledge at all. You must not pledge by heaven because it's God's throne. You must not pledge by the earth because it's God's footstool. You must not pledge by Jerusalem because it's the city of the great king. And you must not pledge by your head because you can't turn one hair white or black. Raise your hand if you wish God could turn your hair white or black, just whatever you said. I certainly do. Jesus says, listen, just let your yes mean yes and let your no mean no. And so Jesus actually just says, listen, take all that, take that religious language out of your yeses and nos. And if you make a promise, just be good to your word. And this is when it starts to kind of like, whoa, like where are you taking us, Jesus? And it starts to really uh, bring to a different light about what it means to, to use God's name in vain because I think if you're anything like me, there are times that I like to like make my point be a little bit more, uh, let me say, intensely felt by using religious language to back it up. Or when I want to make a promise to somebody and I use God language or God words to kind of like show how good I'm going to be and how strongly I take this, like how serious I take this. And Jesus says, listen, um, actually, when you pile on God talk on top of God talk on top of God talk, that's not doing God any favors. Let me illustrate it a different way. I went to, uh, I went to Lifeway um, a couple days ago. And, um, and here's the deal. Like some of us, uh, there are times in our lives sometimes when instead of letting our life speak for what kind of person we are, we just slap some kind of Christian trinket on and expect that to compensate for the way we're living our lives. Like you can't just put a Christian t-shirt on or a Jesus fish on your car or all manner of other things that are good and profitable, but you can't just slap that on something and then let your life be a disaster and say, well, but no, I'm, I'm God. I'm, I'm, I'm part of what God's doing in the world. Jesus says, listen, that religious language, it might be good and helpful in certain contexts, but just let your yes be yes and your no be no. Let your life just be what it is. And that's where it's like, oh, okay, Jesus, you're serious now. And um, let me show you uh, something else. Let me show you why this is, becomes really interesting to me. You see, um, this is the sequence of the Ten Commandments in Exodus. So this is what we're going through. Uh, no other gods, did that a couple weeks ago. No images last week. Don't misuse the name, that's today. Coming up, Sabbath, honor your parents, no murder, no adultery, no stealing, no false witnesses, no coveting, all right? When Jesus goes up the mountain, in Matthew, here's the instructions he gives to his followers. He starts with no murder. Then he goes no adultery. Then he goes no vows. 
And then he actually introduces something brand new and says, actually, no revenge, be a peacemaker, and love your enemies. And I don't want to be, I don't want to get into spoiler alerts because we're going we're gonna to deal with those as they come up. But Jesus is taking us through a progression. And it's almost like he's saying, listen, before you, before you get to like just speaking plainly and not manipulating people religiously, you better learn what it's like to value human life. And it, you better learn like what it means to not lust after people. When you get those things right, then you can understand what it means to just let your yes be yes and your no mean no. So you can see that like, I think Jesus has a 10 commandments agenda, but he is, he's taking it up a level and recasting it. Um, You can see this in the way, by the way, he actually says what he says. He says, listen, when you're gonna make a vow, don't, don't make your vow by heaven. And then he says, don't make it by earth. And then he says, don't make it by Jerusalem. You see what he's doing? And then he says, don't do it by the hair of your head. He starts with this universal agenda, and then he just makes it a little more personal and a little more personal and a little more personal. He says, listen, you can't can't control the universe, so why would you make an oath based on the universe? You can't control what happens. He says, listen, the earth, the created uh, created reality, he says, you can't control that either, so why would you promise on that? Jerusalem, okay, you can see it, you can touch it, you can go to Jerusalem, but that belongs to the king. You can't control Jerusalem, why make a promise on Jerusalem? He says, oh, by the way, you can't even control, you can't even control the hair on your head. So why make a promise based on that? And I think what Jesus starts pushing on for me is my issues of control. And the way sometimes I use language and God talk to control other people. And let me be clear, like, let's be honest, I am using God talk right now to convince you of something. (laughs) But at some point, Things cross over from, like, I'm supposed to teach. That's my charge. I'm supposed to teach and explain and ask people to kind of think about their lives. But at some point, teaching can't become, I'm not a salesman. I'm not here to sell you on something. I'm not here to manipulate you. At some point, Jesus says, we can start using our religious language in ways that manipulate people or in ways that overly control people when we can't control anything. And so I think Jesus is saying, think about the way you talk about God and and realize when you are drifting into issues of control versus just issues of explaining. Uh, One of my favorite authors is a guy named Henry Nouwen, and and he wrote this in this book that I just finished reading uh, again. Sometimes it seems that our many words are more an expression of our doubts than of our faith. It's as if we're not sure that God's spirit can touch the hearts of people. We have to help him out and with many words convince others of his power. So let me ask it this way. Anybody ever been the recipient of somebody who was just kind of piling on the religious words a little too much? A lot of times it looks like, hey, God told me to tell you something. And sometimes he did. 
But anybody ever been like in an environment where people are just like, it, instead of just simply asking me about my life, instead of letting me just say where I'm at and what's going on, it was just on and on and on about, well, God says do this and God says do that. And you're like, whoa, 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 wait, wait. Anybody? Anybody ever make the mistake of maybe drifting into issues of control? Okay? Like a lot of parents, you know, I know like there comes a time when you have to choose to release your kids from control so that you can have a relationship. You have to make a decision. At some point, my kids are adults and they're gonna make decisions. And those are hard things to say. Look, I can't, I'm, I'm past manipulation. I'm past control. Now I just have to tell you, this is what I see. Listen, it's not a, like, you don't abdicate. If you have friends, if you have family members and their lives are going over the cliff, you don't just say, okay, well, I'm, I'm just not going to speak. But don't manipulate. Because you know why? God loves them more than you ever will. And that's what now it's getting at. Sometimes we get so anxious and amped up about what we see happening in our friends' lives that we use word over word over word because we are trying to be God in their life. And if I could just say things powerfully enough and loud enough, then I will wake up. I will wake them up. And something began to change fundamentally when I realized, listen, oh my gosh, God loves my friends more than I do. And so I can speak some truth, but I can trust God. That he has them, like he's with them. And moreover, they're free. It's not my job to manipulate and control people. And so I would ask you this, like if you've ever been a person who uses God talk or religious language a little too much, what do you think it's costing you? It costs you a lot in anxiety. Because hello, you cannot control people. You can't control Jerusalem. You can't control the earth. You can't control the heavens. You can trust God. And so you speak plainly. Jesus says, let your yes be your yes. Uh, this is what I see your life. This is what I see at risk. If you, if you take these actions, this is what might happen. But, but I trust God. We are called to be people who just speak the truth. And the invitation is to set yourself free from anxiety and trust God deeply. Trust God deeply. And in, when you do that, you honor people's freedom. You honor their journey. You honor what God's doing in their life. In that same book by Henry Nouwen, he, he quotes one of the, what we call the Desert Fathers, and these are folks that, uh, that they were basically monks and they went out into the desert in the first couple hundred years of the church. And uh, this guy wrote this, I love this. When the door of the steam bath is continually left open. Listen, if you didn't grow up up north, okay, those of us who grow up north, anybody, if you grew up up north, did you ever like turn the shower on and then leave the bathroom so the bathroom would warm up a little bit? Yes, like you, you turn the shower on, get it like nice and steamy and then you go in, you're not freezing. Like, if someone opened the door, it was cold again. And the image says, listen, when the door of the steam bath is continually left open, the heat inside rapidly dissipates. Likewise, the soul, in its desire to say many things, it dissipates its remembrance of God through the door of speech, even though everything it says is good. 
And what he's saying there is that, listen, when you talk too much God talk, actually, you're actually diffusing the effectiveness of the words. I'm reading a book with a buddy of mine right now, and he showed up one day, and he had taken a highlighter, and he had highlighted like every word on the page except like two. And I'm like, bro, I don't know if you know what the purpose of a highlighter is. But if you highlight everything on the page, it kind of doesn't work in that way. It's the same way, like sometimes we just like, I want to use word after word after word. And, and this guy says, listen, sometimes less is more. And he goes on to say this. Thereafter, the intellect, though lacking appropriate ideas, pours out a welter of confused thoughts to anyone it meets as it no longer has the Holy Spirit to keep its understanding free from fantasy. Ideas of value always shun verbosity. Let your yes be yes and your no mean no. And don't worry about frantically piling this stuff on because ideas of value, God loves you. He's got you in his mind. They always shun verbosity. So what I want to do is uh, give us a little a short list of tips as we kind of close uh, because this is actually really, really practical stuff. The, the first step of like letting your yes beans yes is like really cultivating um, actually how you interact with your friends and how you act when you interact with your family. So the first thing I would tell you is that like consider that maybe you don't have anything to offer. Which should be a little bit of a uh on your ego right out the gate. Because if you're anything like me, I'm like, well, I always have something to say on this, you know? But consider that you may not have anything to give to this person. I mean, you might have a friend, or you might be able to connect them with somebody who does. But be aware that your ego will say, well, I'll help you. You actually might be the worst possible person to help this person. <laughs> Second thing, breathe. Breathe. You know Why? I don't know if you're anything like me. Like, I will prepare my response before the person is halfway done with their sentence. And then as soon as they hit the, as soon as I sense the period, I'm like, oh! Sometimes cultivating silence and speaking simply just means just taking a breath. And instead of being ready for that response, just letting them finish. Next. Silently ask God for guidance. This may sound pithy and trite, but I believe God is real and I believe he's present. So I take a breath and you ask God what inside, like what would you have me say? And yes, is it gonna be a little awkward because you're not talking like our culture always talks over each other and you're gonna be that awkward person that kind of is quiet for three seconds. Oh, and that's gonna feel like, but isn't it better to speak simply and do it out of a place of peace than to, take the name, than to treat God's name as if no significance. So ask God, God, would you have, what would you have me say here? And then as you speak, be aware of your words. Are you exaggerating? Are you saying, man, if you, if you make that decision, you know, you may, you know, you may die. 
Uh, you know, I mean, like, like sometimes we just, we want to drive something home to somebody and we want to say, listen, this is, you're about to make a really bad decision. But instead of just saying, I think you're about to make a really bad decision, we like exaggerate it. Be aware of the words you're using. Next thing, always say less than necessary. Always say less than necessary. I think it's a great idea. I'm not sure that's a great idea. And that sets people free to ask, well, can you tell me more about that? Then you can be like, oh, let me tell you. I will tell you all about it. And then the last thing I would tell you is just this, practice. Practice. You're not going to be perfect at this. You're going to want to, like, control people. That's our tendency. But God says, just let your yes be yes, your no be, means no. Don't swear by all these things because, listen, people are free. And we should treat them as such. And we should offer our wisdom and offer our opinion and offer our love. But don't try to control and manipulate and certainly don't drag God's name into that. That's the third commandment to me. It's way beyond cursing. I remember the first time I, I cursed in my house and man, I got in trouble because I called a member of my family, something I should never call a member of my family. I had no idea what it meant. But it's way, way beyond that. It is, listen, the way you're human is you honor other people. And you trust this great God that's at work in every single person's life. Can you, can you be a person of that radical trust? That's what I want for my life. That's what I want for us. 